Hey, welcome to the Kickstart Podcast presented by 60 Helmets. I'm Don Maeda. I'm joined by Michael Antonovich and our special guest, Jeremy McGrath. Hi. And we're, we're in Jeremy's uh, truck race shop here in Lake Elsinore, California, right? So Yeah, we're at the JMT shop here in Lake Elsinore and messing around with dirt bikes this morning, making plans, you know, looking at off-road trucks, and this is kind of where we nice. come up with the meaning of the minds, you know. Yeah, so this place is... Uh, jam-packed with lots of cool memorabilia i got well we got soda machines pinball machines video games old peak race bikes oh yeah there's a nice little loft up there i think you know yeah make a good home for something yeah right now it's a kind of like a putting green putting green slash but you never know it might turn into something yeah yeah maybe well hey uh 60 helmets brings us this podcast and uh I'm looking forward to, uh, well, they, they, they debuted this ATR2 Youth, and uh, we just got one, and it's pretty awesome because it's the same technology and shell shape as the uh, adult ATR2, which was a large improvement over the original ATR1 in appearance and technology. And uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, they just came out with the uh, youth version, and we're looking forward to getting our young, uh, our young Mr. Rutland in this thing to test it out for us here pretty soon. So, thank you to 6D for bringing us the show. Um, Jared, dude, we were both in Denver, although I didn't see you. I know, which is weird. Right? <laughs> what yeah. a crazy day, huh? Like uh, the gamut of weather conditions. I wasn't prepared for that snow. I don't think anyone was prepared for that. And, and it was a trip because you're like, what's going to happen all day here? I mean, they were calling for a little bit of snow, a little mm-hmm. bit of rain, and, and then all of a sudden in the morning, like, they, they, I think they backed the schedule up an hour, right? Yeah, because well, of the hockey playoffs. Yeah, I think. yeah. So yeah, the, the TV. live timing or the live show was a little bit earlier, which made practice a little bit earlier. And yeah, that, I think the guys were riding in the snow in the morning. That was a trip. I mean, <laughs> who would have ever thought they would actually be? I mean, I don't know. Made Dude, for cool it, photos. Yeah, it was cool for me because, believe it or not, being a SoCal guy, that was I think the only the second time I've been in falling snow in my really? life. I've been to the snow plenty of times, but the first time was I took my wife to New York City for New Year's one year, and that was like I was freaking out. And it Central really Park. like snow. It snowed on you. Yeah, it snowed in Central Park. And so it was, beautiful. It was great, right? Yeah. And so I checked the weather for Denver, and I saw the snow previously, but then the forecast said no rain, no rain, no snow. Yeah. So I'm like, ah, it'll be fine. And then I get there, and it starts snowing. I was so pumped at first. At first. Yeah, first. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I thought it was such a trip, obviously, that that was happening. But at the same time, I was just thinking, like, what are they going to do at night if it actually snows? <laughs> yeah. Are they going to go ahead and race? Like, you know if it's raining, they're doing it. Yeah. Right? yeah. They're riding. And and since we saw the practice in the snow, I was like, well, they're doing it. That's mm-hmm. how it's going to go. You're going to ride in the snow. And it would have been a trip to see the guys riding on the track, like those, pra- those shots we saw of the previous day yeah. or mm-hmm. two when it's really snowed. So that would have been really, really interesting. Yeah, uh, um, you know, as it turned out, we we all got blessed with some good weather, and the racing was great. So yeah, yeah it's perfect. It was still cold. I mean, you you lived in a lot of snow. Yeah, it was, so that's was not it, that bad. It's actually <laughs> was it actually warmer? It's warmer when it's snowing than when it's not, right? So it just kind of all depends. And then like the other thing with snow, it's not as wet as like rain is because there's yeah. way more air to it, so it's not too bad. But then like it all throws everything into a loop too because if the ground's too cold, then the snow doesn't stick or it doesn't melt, and then kind of have like what happened on saturday with the track being right, which, completely dry yeah, well, yeah which the guy said it didn't really get too slippery until yeah. late in the practice sessions yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and then and i think what what helped everything is you know it, it might have stayed warmer while it was snowing if the cloud cover would have stayed on but mm-hmm. since the sun came out yeah. it changed yeah. everything so yeah it turned out to be a great afternoon so the, the sides of the track you know where the photographers have to walk was so slippery i was like dude this is gonna be one of those days where I just go whoop on the plywood. and I'm brown all day, just embarrassed, you know. But so like I, I yeah. walked all day with my knees bent so that I'd have some give. So you're ready. You're on did you guard. see it? Did you see Alessi go off the track in the first practice? No, Ferrandis did too. Oh, did he? Yeah. Um, and this lost yeah. the front. He just kind of like rode off. See, yeah, but he hit the wood and just lost it, and his bike was all. It almost oh, cleaned out one of the... Grabbed the handful when yeah. it landed or something? Wow. And then when he got up and took off, he was like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... It was slick. It's like... It was ice, really, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, did you ever... Uh, the wood on its best day has no traction. Yeah. yeah. So, you know. Exactly. Yeah. 
Did you ever uh, race in snow when you were racing? No. I mean, thank goodness, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't. I mean, I raced in towns like Pontiac and Minneapolis. Yeah. They all had snow outside. I mean, a lot yeah. of it. Thank goodness. Thank goodness they had roofs on their stadiums. But I mean, you know, in today's day and age, I'm like, who the heck would build a stadium that doesn't have a roof on it? Yeah. But I mean, that Denver stadium is so beautiful the way it looks all wavy yeah. and stuff it's yeah. amazing and uh i was when we were there walking through the halls i was saw the picture of the mm-hmm. new stadium side by side with the mm-hmm. with the old stadium mm-hmm. and i was like this is where i used to race right and the new one just you know it's oh, they're just so sweet these days but mm-hmm. it seems weird in a in a sport like nfl where the mm-hmm. broncos play and they play in the winter mm-hmm. why would you build an open stadium in the summer, it's beautiful, right? You can yeah, fit your stadium, you can stand there, nobody plays there. No one's in there in the summer. Yeah. But uh, maybe it's just that whole, you know, gritty, gridiron, NFL type, you know, yeah. mentality. Like, hey, we're like Green Bay Packers or something like that, you know, like, hey, if it's known, we're, you know, we're playing in it or whatever. So, did yeah. you ride in the cold weather a lot? You know, I'm. I'm going to go ahead and say that I didn't really like it when it was that cold yeah. because it was just tough conditions. I mean, it sucks because, like, growing up in Illinois, it was terrible all the time. Like, you could do, like, five laps, and then your hands are just done. So, like, when you hit right. these springtime races this time of year, like, you're waiting in the truck until you have to go to the gate to go ride because right. it was so cold. And then you had to go out and ride and probably when it was muddy and yeah. whatever else. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're pretty spoiled out here, you know. we just The problem was, and I've said it my whole career, the problem with that for me was is, when I got to those conditions mm-hmm. and I was already pro and winning supercrosses, but had no idea how to ride an outdoor track because I never mm-hmm. rode in mm-hmm. snow and never rode in rain, Probably never rode in mud, humidity, big ruts, muddy tracks. Like I was so fish out of the water at that point. I mean, it took me three years before I even figured out how, at least in my mind, figure out how to ride an outdoor motocross track, you know, mm-hmm. because it was just, I was so such a squid. I mean, I could kill everyone McGrath on hard pack. Squid, yeah, right. I could kill on hard pack. That's why yeah. I always did good at Gainesville. It's hard mm-hmm. pack. Yeah. Any races that were super hard, I was, I was, I was good because that's what I grew up on. Yeah. But the other stuff, geez, it was pitiful for a while. Yeah. So hey, Denver. Yeah. Race was okay. First of all, Eli smashed him. But how crazy was the crowd? Like, I, don't, I probably didn't. You couldn't see it on oh, TV. You could hear it. But like. You know, when I, as a photographer, you know, you're on the floor and you hear, Rah! you're like, oh, what happened? You immediately look at the big screen, right? Yeah. That happened. I'm like looking at the big screen and it's like nothing. It's just Eli going around the track. And then I realized that the crowd was cheering for him as he circulated like the stadium. Like the Eli wave. Yeah. It was like yeah. a wave. It was so crazy. I've never been in recent memory at an event where the hometown or home state favorite got that much support. Like, well, look, we can look at that a few different ways, right? I mean, what we saw Eli riding this weekend mm-hmm. was like elbows up, attitude up. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm winning no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we, la- Even last week when he won, it was a phenomenal race. He had an awesome race. He won the whole thing. But this week, he was like not taking second. Yeah. That's it. He was winning. Yeah. And we saw some really cool – I mean, we were treated being there to see some really raw emotion from him which we ha- we don't get to see from Eli. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I've ever seen him that happy, right? <laughs> I mean, he was smiling, he was doing one-handers on the last lap. I mean, he is he was kind of just it felt like watching, it felt like he was just stoked, you know? Yeah. And and he had that like love for the moto and um yeah, for me it was it was cool. It was cool to see, but I mean, he he was yeah, he was not going to be denied this weekend. Yeah. You had that happen a lot of times like Anaheim's or San Diego's where it's like hometown race everybody knows you how much different as a racer is it for you like special gear special helmets you know everybody's there because they want to see you well you know what I always thrived on that stuff Mm -hmm. a lot of guys just don't like it I mean I think the hardest part of the local races is you have so many people you know and you don't want to let them down you want to say hi to them you just they're like a lot of the stuff during the day is the Mm -hmm. hard part but uh, for me always when the when the race came around it was like hey it's on. This is my time to shine, and uh, you, you know it gives you that extra burst of energy, yeah. and uh, so, I mean, I always loved it, and mm-hmm. I was always lucky, right? Because we had a couple of Anaheim's, we had San Diego, so I was kind of right here in the middle yeah. of all of it. So yeah. I had like two or three local races. It seemed like a year, uh, so I just felt right at home with that. But 
um, it's it's neat to see you know the fans really get behind the hometown guy and and uh, yeah this weekend was that was that was something else mm-hmm. and then even uh, Adam kind of smashed him huh yeah I think maybe that was maybe the best race I've seen Adam race yeah mm-hmm. I mean he did, was, did did you worry at all that he was gonna spaz out when he couldn't get around Moser in the first six laps because like after seeing him at the triple crowns and stuff I was like oh dude be mellow. Well, here's the thing. I, I thought the track lended itself to really being able to ride around the whole track. He mm-hmm. was moving around. I mean, he worked that pass with, with Mosman for, like, what, f- four or five yeah, laps? Yeah, he, he set it yeah. up for a while. I mean, go. he was working the outsides, insides, and everything. I mean, he was – I thought even watching as a, you know, as a former racer, and I was like, dude, that's it, dude. Just you got to give him a – you got to give him the boot. He's got to go. Yeah. You know? I'm like, he's got to go. You're wasting too much time. And Ferrandis was coming up. Yeah. You know, he was making the pass into third. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, no. All right. Mm-hmm. Granted, they had a four or five second lead. but And and there was no way he was catching Adam. He was riding really good. But mm-hmm. to be given Moisman the, the room he was giving him, yeah, I applaud him now because he went and won the race. But, mm-hmm. you know, after four, three laps, you're like, okay, dude, this, this <laughs> I got to go, and I'm sorry, but I'm out of here. So, um, you know, but I can say the same thing for Eli. In the heat race, he was giving Cooper Webb way too yeah. much room, yeah. and letting him pass him back and all this stuff. I'm like, at what point are you going to show your authority? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Webb's the one that's showing the authority lately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, back to Cincerello, he was. Uh, you know, the disappointing thing in that for me from watching that was the fact that he got around him and then uh, Moseman just dropped anchor. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate that. A guy will put up a fight so long. And then you get by him, and then all of a sudden he's, like, in sixth. Yeah, you like, know, what? I think he ended up fifth or sixth, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he blew, his, blew his wad, I guess, up there racing for the front. But, you know, that kid's probably not, not really been around the front a ton. Yeah. Yeah, so he's gaining, gaining, he's experience. gaining experience for sure. But, yeah. uh, you know, it was frustrating for me because I'm like, when's and when, do you, when do you draw the line? When's enough enough? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? He was giving him plenty of room. Maybe that kid – could have ran up front for a couple laps, then maybe dropped in behind him. And learned. And learned and rode with him. He was as fast, pretty much as fast for a long time. And then uh, maybe tried to hang with him. Maybe that would have got the kid a podium. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know. When Adam finally did make that pass, like, he sent it into that turn. He was yeah. not going to give him any other chance, like, really cut it off. And the way that he did it could have went two ways. Like, Adam could have really overshot it and then went too high, and then most of them would have went by, by two. Yeah. It was really good racecraft from everybody. The, yeah, it was. They were riding real fair. It was cool. I mean, real, real respectful, which mm-hmm. I like. You know, it's nice. But at a certain, I'm not saying you should have took him out. But at a certain point, you gotta like, you know, you gotta yeah. show some authority and like mm-hmm. stall him up for a second and get your, you know, he was just being real generous and letting him get back beside him and all that. And and Adam was so fast in the whoops and you know, it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, he was clearly faster. That kid, kid rode good though. So <laughs> exciting racing for all of us mm-hmm. to watch. You being a Cali guy, do you talk to those guys that much? I mean. I talked to, you know, I talked to him a little bit here and there. I don't, you know, I'm not. It's not like you're over there. I'm not over there, you know, I'm not over there talking to him about racing or nothing. We talked during the autograph signing, and me and Adam are friends, so we talk. Mm -hmm. Um, I talked to Joey a little bit here and there. Eli, I don't talk to you too much. He's kind of in his own zone. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm always available for those guys if they need anything, want to talk about anything. I mean, I have more experience than they do in these situations, but. You know, I'm just not the guy that's like, hey, man, you need to do this. this." Right. I'm available. I'm here. If you guys want to talk about something, you let me know. I think that makes you even cooler, though, to everybody because it's like he's not overbearing and trying to steal this time again. Well, listen, I I can appreciate the position they're in. Yeah. And and they have 100 people talking to them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes they need someone to talk to that has some experience. And, and, you know, at the test track when I'm there, sometimes we talk about more stuff. But. It's still not a lot, you know. I, I'm, I would never want to get in anyone's way. I don't want to insert myself into a situation where I'm not wanted mm-hmm. and all that stuff. I have a, you know, a, you know, a vast set of knowledge, you know, from years of experience. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that that'll come into play when someone needs it. So, just keep it cool. And those guys are my friends, and I yeah. wish them luck and mm-hmm. love watching them, and just keep it like that. And make sure it's not businessy you know yeah mm-hmm. hey speaking of uh earlier you're talking about speeding the whoops how about when eli got by marvin <laughs> in the whoops yeah i was like dude marvin's hair just went forward inside his helmet yeah he was flying 
flying by him. Mm -hmm. But Marvin got back by him. Yeah, momentarily, yeah. I mean, momentarily, yeah, he got back by him, man. Uh, Marvin's really good at, like, sussing out the situation, and when he gets passed, he's already set up to make the pass back, and he's, mm -hmm. he's been really good at that. He's really crafty out there. It seemed like Eli had that section of the track way more dialed, like from the triple to the finish line. He yeah. had it dialed in way more than anybody else did. Um, and then he was still doing that three onto the table midway through the race, too, mm -hmm. that a lot of guys gave up on. Yeah. Marv, tried, he started trying to do that, and he actually nailed it a few times, but mm -hmm. he was real hesitant. Yeah. Uh, um, who else was doing it? Osborne was doing it pretty good. Mm -hmm. There was a few guys that were actually nailing the line, but Eli was really consistent doing it every mm -hmm. lap. Uh, I think in the end, there was that line where Webb was kind of doing, and then they do 3-1 at the end, which was pretty mm -hmm. cool. Mm -hmm. uh, I kept waiting for Eli to just hammer it over the table to table and get backside yeah. and then do three and then one. He would have he been able to put a second on him in that one section. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but really, he didn't need it. He was pulling away, so. Yeah. Have you gotten to rewatch the race yet? <clears throat> I haven't. If you see, they do that end zone triple, and then they set up for that next section. Right. Cooper's, like, speed, the way he carries it over that first obstacle, and then into the next triple, it's where he made up so much ground on everything. Yeah. Like, look like BMX style. Yeah, totally. Um, if Real, I remember right, when I was watching once, he went outside and almost endowed once. Mm -hmm. He was carrying a lot of speed, and the front wheel must have missed the yeah. lip or something. He, mm -hmm. he kind of, but he pulled it off. Um, you know, look, I'm I'm not hating, but I'm just still amazed at what I'm watching with Cooper Webb. I just can't believe that he's riding the way he is and, and being as strong as he is at the end of the races. I just I just can't believe that. Um, you know, I guess I'm going to have to come to grips with it because he's, he's up front all the time now, uh, and he gets great starts. I mean, that's, that's a deadly combo. You know, he's mm -hmm. riding great, and, and he's, we're going to see a new Supercross champion because of it. So, mm -hmm. But it, it is pretty uh, – pretty amazing stuff to be where he was last year and yeah. be winning the points you know we did a uh, we did a pretty good interview with him a couple weeks ago on the site and he was pretty uh he was pretty honest about what, what he went through the last two years there's a lot of injuries and he didn't like the bike and, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but uh he's pretty happy where he's at now and uh yeah i was i was pumped like to be totally honest i i left with like few laps to go to go get started on some interviews because mm -hmm. i looked and you know eli's way out front I'm, okay okay i don't need the picture of him with the flame behind him right so i hauled ass and then i'm like <laughs> cooper passed marvin right yeah you yeah. Know? yeah. Mm -hmm. passed him and then then eli because like, it took him a cruising. while to even get into the third yeah you know um i thought joey rode really well yeah joey did well. ride really well man that guy's such he's so fast yeah joey's mm -hmm. fast but he's really really inconsistent at this point you know yeah, yeah. well i guess he's to be he, riding like he was with a separated his, shoulder, dislocated yeah. shoulder, mm -hmm. yeah, that's and gritted out. Yeah, he was awesome. Was yeah, cool. Yeah. Hey, when you're in these positions, last few races, what are what's like a racer's mindset to like? Okay, we know we have a break, we have nationals coming. How do you keep that focus on a championship in these last few rounds when there's so much stuff to distract you? Well, I think look, he, he's got enough points gap where where he's going to be able to, uh, you know, he's just going to be able to nail it in pretty much it seems mm -hmm. like he doesn't have to get in a fight with anybody out on the track he doesn't have to if he can control himself and keep himself from just just cruising in he, i mean obviously i always like to just try and i always call it chasing the rabbit right so i always mm -hmm. i'm like look I, i'm not worried about points i'm not worried about anything i'm trying to win the race and if i win the race the rest will take care of itself mm -hmm. but you know the way these guys get in fights on the track and stuff these days a little bit um especially webb uh you know, it could cause him a little havoc mm -hmm. if he's not careful. But, you know, he's he's learned a lot. He's not picking on people as bad as he was. Yeah. You know, he's he's trying to keep his nose clean a little bit better. And, you know, he, he's he, I think as far as that goes, he's just going to – I don't know. Like, what do you do? Do you go start riding outdoors? Is, yeah. Or do you start – I would yeah. just stick to my Supercross thing. And Yeah, was that uh, a struggle for you because you're always so focused on Supercross? Like, did, when the team wanted you to go right outdoors, did you ever say, oh, okay. No. No, Stay because I was, was fortunate enough to have a big old lead. So <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, I mean, uh, you know, there's only a few of them where it came down to the wire pretty yeah. much. But, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I mean, it was always kind of refreshing to go right outdoors. Yeah. You know, how, but, how weird is that to go from one mode to the next? Is it, well, remember when I raced back in the day, in the 90s, Gainesville. we went to Gainesville. So we were sort of riding, like Daytona and Gainesville were sort of outdoorish. Yeah, mm -hmm. So we were a little bit switched over in our heads 
yeah. And then we only had to go back to ride Supercross for yeah. another little bit anyway. But <clears throat> the way these guys are, they have their tracks at their house and stuff, right? So you don't have to, like, they have their outdoor bike and they have their Supercross bike. I, I don't think they have to. They can just grab a bike and go. And then just go out, yeah. Yeah. So, and then what they'll do is they'll do, like, a tune-up before they go to the Supercross. They'll just go ride Supercross again before they go, and then their heads switch back over. It's weird because <clears throat> when you go from Supercross so much and you start riding outdoors, you have these, like, uh, your eyeballs your head and your eyes are set up for riding supercross you're going so slow you're looking at all this stuff and then all of a sudden you're just like wide open <laughs> yeah. and you're, you're like deer in headlights then yeah. you know so it, it takes some adjustment to get used to that but uh with these guys track setups and the way they are I don't, you know I don't, it doesn't take much hey you were a guy as a racer that always made it really clear that you had outside interests of, other than racing like moto was your focus but there was bmx and you would go out and yeah. you know have fun um, some guys are getting heat right now because they have some extracurricular activities. How do you, as a racer, try to find the balance of having an outlet so you're not always focused on something, but it not costing your results to like be a little bit impacted negatively? Well, I think that uh, you know, obviously, our our era was a total diff- totally different era. Uh, I think maybe because. You know, I, I think maybe because we were able to have some outlets like mm-hmm. that, especially on my, for me, I think uh, I was able to race a lot longer. You know, these guys get fried pretty quickly. Yeah. I think five, six years, they're like over it. And I think that's due to the fact that they're just so focused. They, they, I mean, they don't even, they don't even, let's just take free riding, for instance. They don't even go ride their bikes when it's not yeah. on a track. You know what I mean? Which is totally different than what we did. And I mean, steel routes one and two. Right. Yeah. We, we would we would go ride laps but then we would on another day we'd go out in the hills or we'd go mm-hmm. to somewhere else we'd go mm-hmm. to the desert we'd do something so you know it's a, it's a different era and I, I get it these, these kids they think that uh, you know if they don't ride laps that they're going to miss something because they know the other guys riding laps mm-hmm. right so mentally that plays a factor in what they're thinking they're thinking like hell that dude got one extra day riding supercross this week and I was out there playing that could mentally that little bit could mentally affect them on the weekend knowing mm-hmm. like oh, Eli was out there hammering laps and I was out there just jumping and shooting videos or whatever. So, you know, mentally that plays a big part in that. You know, I mean, there was parts in my career where I know I was training way harder than everybody else. And it, and on the weekends I was like, there's no way anyone's beat me. Before mm-hmm. I even got to the line, I'm like, that's it. They're done. Because I know that I worked harder than everybody this week. And, but they're all playing that game now, yeah. you know. So how do they, you know, how do they sort of – you know, I'm a, I'm always a believer like common sense and moderation. Look, you you got to give your body a rest. You got to give your mind a rest. I mean, it's hard to stay peak form mm-hmm. 12 months out of you know 10 months out of the mm-hmm. year, whatever. So, I don't know. I, I'm I'm not against playing a little bit, mm-hmm. going out a little bit, going doing other sports a little bit, whatever within reason. You know, you just you you know you know you have a job at hand, and you know what it takes to do the job. Mm-hmm. So you can't negatively affect yourself so much that you can't do your job. Mm-hmm. It's a different deal than when we were racing. And, yeah, we had a lot more fun, but, you know, it was kind of what was going on during the days. I mean, it doesn't didn't mean we weren't working. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can promise you that. So, um, you know, some of these guys, a little rest might help them. Yeah. Yeah. So. The other big thing, and I've noticed this too more recently, when you were in that era, like you and Rossi were cool, you guys would talk because you were going through similar experiences. You were friends with a lot of other racers or athletes that were doing the same things you were doing. Yeah. Were you taking like, well, this is how they cope with something or this is how they address the situation? Did you take cues from other guys or were you just so focused like, this is how I do stuff and that's the only way? Well, I think one of the things that made me, you know, strong while I was racing in my career and stuff was was I was able to listen to everyone, L- mm-hmm. listen to what everyone did, take in what I needed, throw out the rest. Obviously, we all have our own ways. We nobody knows your body or you better than you. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of plug in all the factors, right, and figure out okay, what works for me, what doesn't work for me. And you know, I have I have a lot of friends that do things totally did, but I, you know, I couldn't do things the way Jeff Stanton did them. If I would have, I would have fried myself out. If I, w- I couldn't do things the way whoever else did it. You know, I had my own plan, and I felt like, you know, there's, that's the other thing. You always want to feel like whatever you're doing is the right way. 
right? Mm-hmm. And they're doing it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And that's just the that's just the mental strength factor that you got to believe. Like, hey, this is what I'm doing. You know in your head when you're not doing it right. And I knew when I was out messing around and, and being <laughs> stupid that I knew that was negatively affecting me. However, I just there was some balance that you have to use yeah. to mm-hmm. you know you make your own math problem along the way. Like, okay, too much of this and too little of this is going to equal really bad here. So you have to you have to just figure out along the way what you can and can't do. Yeah. And you know, I've been the first to say that the first three or four years I I didn't work hard enough. I just mm-hmm. didn't. I was lazy, mm-hmm. and I was really good at Supercross, and I leaned on that a lot. I leaned on my talent, and and you know that's why guys like Jeff Stanton and the heroes that I looked up to in the day they were looking at me like this dumbass kid. Look, he don't even do nothing, and he's kicking our ass. Mm-hmm. Well. It took it took me three or four years to figure out like oh okay now I know what he's talking about you know I had to work and I had to get my bike set up and all this I mean you know those are some of the things that just takes a while to figure out and I was sort of in the beginning I guess I was a slow learner you know mm-hmm. fortunately I had Supercross to lean on so hey so uh, we were talking a little bit earlier about going from Supercross to motocross the other day uh, Cole Seeley was at Milestone and I saw him, I was like hey 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 put my gopro on will you and he's like dude it's gonna be sketchy i'm gonna be real slow this is my first day riding outdoors right but it was cool i mean for me i, I edited the video i didn't put in the first two laps and he's learning the track but then he's gone he's gone and it's like well damn man I, I wish i was that fast when i was rusty you know yeah but uh there's this part in there where he catches up to a guy who's probably like a local pro mm-hmm. and he's behind him and the guy looks back and is just matting the throttle right trying to stay out of him that's the worst Seeley, right yeah so then Cole finally passes him and, mm. and dives inside. And they may have hit. I don't think that they did. But, mm. dude, the comments on our YouTube, all these soft-ass people are like, ooh, really cool, but did he really have to run into that guy? You know? And then so there's these guys just, like, talking crap on Sealy for running into this guy who was trying to race him, right? Mm. And so I went in there and I started calling him back. Dude, <laughs> quit being so soft. You yeah. know, the local pro riding over his head as hard as he can to stay in front of a factory guy won't get out of his way mm-hmm. see he was just minding his own business and well if you have to move him out of the way you have to move him out of the way on top of it it was pro day at milestone you know so it's like pro day yeah, you're yeah. supposed to be the fast guy there yeah, so right. if you're going to ride on the big boy track you better be, be a ready. big boy mm-hmm. what are your thoughts about that and did you have to deal with that a bunch like guys trying to race you well my my thoughts are this you know everyone's there's a lot of softies these days, right? I yeah. mean, the reality is, is everything these days is unfair. Why is that? I don't <laughs> know. What happened to the nineties? What happened to the eighties? Seventies are tough guys. Yeah. Nobody's tough anymore. There's always an excuse. Uh, Cole Seeley, anyone who would talk shit about him, obviously doesn't know him. Mm-hmm. He's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great guy and he's a nice guy. He would never do anything to hurt anyone, let alone run into him. Mm-hmm. So my opinion on that is like, he did the right thing and I can tell you from experience here's the worst thing that happens when you go to those pro days or you do something like that you have a local pro he sees you coming and this is where I think the etiquette problem there's a people have etiquette problems mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with me being faster than you right. right I have no problem with that you we are where we are and that's just we ride mm-hmm. bikes and that's it we're on the same track we're having a great time but if you decide that I'm coming and you're just gonna hammer the gas and you you're just and gonna go wild to try and stay ahead of me for half a lap or whatever, then all of a sudden I got a problem with that. The smart thing to do would be like, hey, oh, here comes Jeremy or here comes Cole. Jump in behind him. Let's learn something. Mm-hmm. You know? I have problems with guys that you'll see you'll see guys at local tracks do this too. They'll cut on the track knowing you're coming and then they'll just ah, panic and go wide open and try and stay ahead of you for two corners. Then you pass them and they pull off. I'm like, oh. Or, or the they cut the track again and get Right. If you're willing to step up and, and ride in front of one of these pros and you think you're badass and you want to do that, when you get past, you need to try and chase them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of being a puss and getting roosted and going, oh, he passed me and, and cutting off the track. That is the weakest thing you could possibly do. So in the pro's eyes, there's a certain etiquette you, mm-hmm. you have, right? Like I'm gonna, if I'm coming up to you and you're my speed, I'm going to suffer behind you because that's the right thing to do mm-hmm. until I pass you. Mm-hmm. If I pass you and then you pull off, then I'm claiming you're a pussy. Yeah. That's just how it goes. Yeah. My friends, 
any of my friends that jump on and race me for a minute or whatever, I just and then they cut off, I always call them out. Because <laughs> you have to be able to accept yeah. roost if you're going to be able to do that. Yeah. Now, back to what I was saying earlier, if the kid jumped on and, and Cole took half a lap from him and knew he could get around and the kid was still in the race line and not mm-hmm. and being a, having bad etiquette, it was time to move him. That's how yeah. it goes. Toughen up, everyone. It's called yeah. motocross. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Definitely. There you go, Moto 54. You just got bitch slapped by the king. Boom. <laughs> Get some etiquette. So another thing that always tripped me out is that like when guys will ride their supercross bike on a motocross track yeah, because the the shit is unrideable (laughs) stiff, right? Like one time Ross messed up and gave me Chisholm supercross forks. Oh. And I raced in the dirt with them on my bike and I'm all, Rossi, there's something wrong with these forks. They're broken. They don't even move, right? Yeah. But then... Actually, the first time I rode a Supercross bike on an outdoor track was behind your house when you're all, dude, try the Suzuki. It's pretty good. Yeah. And it had oh, Supercross. Super <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, no, it's yeah. not that good, no, dude. No, 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 no. <laughs> but I mean, how, I mean, I guess you're pros at the top, top level, but like, it's it's unrideable, dude. Like, They're pretty you, unrideable. And even, even today's Supercross package is even way more unrideable than, say, back in the in 90s, your, I yeah. think. Mm-hmm. We ran stiff stuff, and I... I pride myself on running real stiff stuff back then, mm-hmm. but I mean, granted, I'm slow now and all that. But yeah, yeah, I absolutely. get on my 450 now with the Supercross setup, and I'm like, start opening clickers as fast <laughs> as I can open them because I'm like, dude, this stuff is unrideable. Uh, this stuff, and well, of course, the speeds are going are so much. The bike's bigger, and the speeds that they're going are just incredible. But um, it, it, you know, you can only do so much with a Supercross bike. Even on an outdoor track, you, mm-hmm. you want to go out there when it's smooth. You can jump and have fun. There's no bike that be- jumps better than a bike with Supercross suspension because mm-hmm. you can stay low and do all this stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if you think you're going to go out and ride motos on an outdoor track with a Supercross setup, yeah, you can you can get about two, three, four, five minutes in, and then you're like, done, right? I'm done. Blisters, you're almost killing yourself out there. So, yeah, it's 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 really tough. Yeah. Dude, at uh, Day in the Dirt this year, I, I talked <clears> – <throat> I talked Alex Ray into racing with me on the team race, and he he, had he was riding Supercross suspension, oh. dude. Oh, man, that was, was probably ugly. Glen yeah. Helen is not easy, too. I mean, yeah. that track no. is gnarly. Definitely. Hey, That's when, gnarly with outdoor suspension. Yeah. yeah. When you uh, were doing all the testing and stuff like that, like, you were out of the works bike generation, so you never saw that. But what yeah. was, like, the first factory part that you saw that where you were like, oh, my God, I can't believe that they gave me this? Uh, well, my, I'm looking at my 92. So up here we have the 92 peak bike. Mm -hmm. That bike doesn't have, that bike doesn't have, that's, that's the, when the production rule came in for the 125 Mm -hmm. class. So the year before that 91, I got work suspension. Mm -hmm. So I got, I got like what they call a kit suspension these days. Uh, so when I first got that stuff, I was like, dude, I made it. I got work (laughs) suspension, you know, cause then you, you see it on Ricky Johnson's bike and Stan's bike and and Bale's bike and Bradshaw, and you're like, oh, dude, if I could only get some of that. What people don't realize is, you know, <clears throat> if, you, if you took that suspension, you'd mm-hmm. be like, it doesn't work. Yeah. You know, you have to set up your bike for yeah. yourself. But yeah. anyways, uh, you know, I've, and I've told this story in the past, you know, when I got signed on Honda back in the day in, in 91, end of 90, uh, <clears throat> it was like, all right, full factory bike. And then, you know, I have to be honest, w- I was the first one signed before a pro circuit peak team even existed. existed. Yeah. So then when, you know, Dave Arnold and the, the boys are like, Hey, you know, you're factory Honda now, but you know, you're going to ride over here on this satellite setup. I was like, Oh man, <laughs> you know, knowing what we know now, Mitch's team is one of the greatest mm-hmm. lights team, 125 team, whatever mm-hmm. in the history of the sport. So it was not definitely not a downgrade, but you know, all my life I was a kid looking up to these, yeah. I wanted my own van and my own stuff, you know, and it was kind of like, uh, it was a little bit of a, a mind game when it first all happened. But uh, when we started getting factory parts, you know, and, and Mitch built the motors and stuff, so we didn't have a ton of factory parts, but we did get clamps, fork, shock, yeah. linkages, a few things like that. And, you know, before that, I didn't even know that stuff existed. <laughs> and I was like, I'm riding around on the beater, you know, production bikes and trying to get suspension done and stuff like that it was kind of just part of the deal you know mm-hmm. uh 
but yeah, it was exciting. You know, it was exciting to get factory parts. And then when I started getting a 250 with good stuff, then it was really like, oh, man, mm-hmm. this is cool. Mm-hmm. And, the, you know, I've been around the whole time since then, out at tests and do this. And the amount of parts and stuff that these guys test now were nowhere near what we got back in the 90s. Really? I, I, obviously, stuff's gotten more expensive. Budgets have tightened up. But, <clears throat> I mean, Honda used to have, it was such a luxury because we had... We'd have 10 sets of clamps. We'd have mm-hmm. 10 sets of suspension, mm-hmm. 10 sets of everything. And even frames and all this crazy stuff. Like, it was <clears throat> it was an exciting time. I think I lived or I was able to ride in the last great era where you had, like, sort of works parts but mm-hmm. not a works bike, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I mean, production bikes are so darn good that they don't need all that stuff. And they're so fast. But When, when you'd be out testing, like, motor stuff. Would they like take the top end off and change cylinders and stuff oh, yeah. while you're waiting, right? Yeah, yeah. See, like in the four-stroke era, they're just plugging computers in and trying different yeah. settings and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But, like they do, they do change heads and stuff these days because four-strokes are a lot different, right? The head, yeah. the head is what really makes the difference. Yeah. But yeah, we would have different ported cylinders, so we'd have, you know, ten cylinders to mm-hmm. try and and different clutches and pipes, pipes and different engines and angles and we had all this stuff. It was cool. I mean just the amount of parts like mm-hmm. we would die to see all that again today because yeah. there was a lot of cool stuff yeah, yeah definitely did you ever reach a point where you're like <clears throat> when we all know the frame story that you like one frame mm-hmm. but was it ever like hey we really want you to try this and would you push back like no this is what i'm going to stay with i don't need uh, to advance no, i always tried everything mm-hmm. yeah really? and in fact in 95 i think it was or maybe even 94 so 93 is a bike that's a famous bike that i liked and i rode mm-hmm. that the whole time N- Every year, the first few races, I was on the newest stuff, 94 oh. chassis, mm-hmm. uh, or and then 95, newest chassis. But uh, there was one year in, in, I think, 94, which is the second year, or maybe it was 95. But the first few races, I couldn't buy a start. I was getting such bad starts. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it was one year, uh, if you remember, a long time ago, Larry Ward led a long time, and I caught him finally and passed him about, like, lap. 12 or 13 and there's a famous picture of us looking at each other mm-hmm. he was no lean i think at that time yeah mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh so, i just got you know i'm a good i was always a good starter i'm a pretty good on the gate i think and i just couldn't do anything that year mm-hmm. so i was able to switch back right after that because the like, chassis made a difference yeah chassis made a difference so the chassis would wow. for some reason just wouldn't come off the line right and like i said there was angles and different things that were on there but um I always wanted to know what the newest stuff was because yeah. I was always comparing it to whatever I was riding. Mm-hmm. So I never sh- completely shut the door on what whatever was available. Mm-hmm. I just always ended up liking what I liked. Hey, you know what? Uh, it's <clears throat> totally a common. Everyone has a thing. You know the starting device. Yeah. Team Yamaha. Back when you're you're riding on it, you guys are the first guys with the hook, right? Yeah. What went through your mind when they brought that to you and said, hey, we're going to test this and we might race with this and it'll help you get better starts? Well, I mean, I was like, hey, if if someone can help me get a better start than I'm already getting, yeah. mm-hmm. then let's do it. You know, I mean, because look, if you have an advantage, even if it's this much, mm-hmm. we all know if you can get track position, it makes things a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And it is pretty funny today, all the parts they have to you know, lower the front. <laughs> Yours thing. is just the hook. Ours was a hook. hole in the fork guard with a hook on there. And pretty, you know, pretty minimal setup. But yeah. uh, it came from Europe. Those guys figured it out over there. Okay. And uh, we started trying it. And it wasn't long right after that until it. But, you know, the bikes are slower, right? We we didn't have them. Like, today the guys smashed those things. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're like, I mean, they look like they have, you know, there's nothing left. Yeah, like. Mm-hmm. I think this weekend I was looking and there was only like three inches, four inches maybe between Adam's front fender yeah. and his tire. Well, now, especially with the the grid, the grid. or gate that you start on, is makes it a lot better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in the past, when we first started doing that, different heights gave you better, different tractions, right? Because mm-hmm. your balance, if you put, if you had the bike too low in the front with mm-hmm. the dirt start, then it just spins. So you had to find the balance of where you wanted it. Mm. Uh, and so there was like, well, there was like, you know, there's 20 mil, then there was like 30 mil and 40 mil and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, it was, that's a pretty big revolution. Yeah. Did you in see in the sport of motocross, that's a pretty, that was one of the pretty big revolutions. Did you see that they have it on Ducatis now in MotoGP and people are just tripping out? They no, had it I at, didn't see that. They have it at a preseason test and you watch them come around. It's before Qatar. So it's first race of the yeah. year. They're coming around in Davizioso like 
flips a dial, and then he, like, hops. No, the rear lowers. Oh. And so everybody was freaking out how they were going to do this, and Ducati was really guarded about what's happening. So it lowers the shock, so there's it's like a rear link so device. So it's like an anti-squat thing? So yeah. So it just doesn't go like that and it take just, off? It just kind of lowers and then goes, and then as soon as they break, it lifts up again. But people were tripping out, and a bunch of guys were like, oh, no, this is Supercross. Like, we just took it from there. They've had this for 15 years. The I mean, MotoGP world is like light years probably ahead of where. And they're amazed by this thing that you guys made. That was a hook. <laughs> Which originally came from Europe in the first yeah. place. So, yeah. you know, and, you know, a lot of times the Japanese are just so smart. They make their, I mean, they're the leader in technology. I mean, now KTM's caught up and in some ways surpassed what's going on in, in the dirt bike world. But, you know, to come up with something that was so small mm-hmm. but be so revolutionary was, mm-hmm. was the Japanese guys were probably like, man, how did we not think of that? <laughs> and now to have it on MotoGP and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, they come out with some trippy stuff for MotoGP. It's amazing. That lower thing Did you they see got that? under the Ducati now. Yeah, to like throw it onto the for the downforce that yeah, they're not allowed to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty wild. Hey, so you are a big MotoGP guy because yeah. of Val. Um, yeah. Yesterday, Alex Renz beat him in Texas. Yeah, I know. And he was like amazed because everybody wants to beat Val. That was who they looked up to. Right. Everybody wanted to beat you, but there were guys you wanted to beat. What was it like the first time you beat like Stanton or Bale or Ricky Johnson? Well, I mean, look, the first time it's all <clears throat> well documented. The first time I beat Stanton really was I had to pass him, right? So I was really scared to pass him. I just didn't know, like, he's my hero. He's one of my heroes. Like, am I supposed to pass this guy? Or how am I going to pass this guy? And, uh, you know, those are the moments that make or break you. And, and I was able to capitalize on, I don't know what, just, you know, I was able to get by him. And then I just kind of put my head down. And uh, it, it was it was the day that it basically opened a, a lock for me right mm-hmm. because i thought okay from this day forward i don't like i can win mm-hmm. and that was the the day that unlocked all that in my head like that's it i can win these races now he's no, those guys are no longer untouchable mm-hmm. and um just like in moto gp yesterday <clears throat> you know listen you can't compare the greatest valentino rossi of the valentino we saw yesterday in austin right, right? alex renz even said it in his interview he's like this is a special day for me because I beat my hero. When mm-hmm. I was a little kid, I looked up to Rossi. I mean, that's how long he's been racing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alex Renz is pretty badass. I mean, he's so smooth, and it was a pretty awesome race. But that had to just tear up Rossi because he, like, we all we all wanted to see him win. Yeah, everybody did. We, Those I mean, last, it was kind of like Tiger Woods yesterday. That was amazing. Yeah. Right. You you saw all that starting to go down, and then you know, to him to get the momentum and then win at the end, you're just like, wow, that that's one of the greatest comebacks in this mm-hmm. sporting history. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, yeah, Valentino's smart. He, he did, he did push hard in the last mm-hmm. lap, it seemed like, but, uh, you know, even the fastest guys don't win all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and we saw that yesterday from Marquez, obviously too. So, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's a weird thing when you're kind of battling with your heroes and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, and, I guess for me, when when I started to kind of come alive, Ricky Johnson was already having wrist problems, right? Mm-hmm. So I didn't really, I didn't, I wouldn't never say that I just got to beat Rick when he was like straight up. Yeah, and I was a kid, and he was already he was a little bit older, right? Mm-hmm. So there's no way you can ever compare the greatest guys to the greatest guys. It's, mm-hmm. it's just it doesn't mm-hmm. work like that. But um, you know, I guess for me, it was just. It was just a great feeling of being able to race those guys that mm-hmm. I looked up to for so long. And even Bradshaw, you know, he was someone I looked up to a lot. And it's weird to say, but he's younger than me. <laughs> Bradshaw's one year younger than me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was always weird. Like when I was a kid, I was in the 125. I was looking up to him and just seeing his, hearing his bike on press days and stuff. Just like that Yamaha with that shorty silencer and yeah. the way he rode and he just jumped everything. It was it was. I was like, I want to be like that guy, you know, mm-hmm. and and then with the with the flair of Ricky Johnson and the speed of whoever. So, mm-hmm. uh, but racing with those guys was, you know, that was everything we ever dreamed of. Mm-hmm. Um, I did this thing in Kickstart a few weeks ago. Like Nichols and Bogle are like super fans of you. Like they do knack knacks every time that they can. Did you see Ren's knack knack after the finish line? Yeah, I got that pumped was, on that. That was cool. Yeah. Um, but like the cool thing was like when Nichols won his heat race in Seattle it was like on whatever day but your first knack knack in Orlando was before he was even born 
So yeah, like, isn't that a trip? That's how, a trip, right? how cool is it for you, though, to see that these kids are just, like, <clears throat> so respectful of you? Like, they're, like, that enamored with all the stuff that you did. Well, I think it's really cool. I mean, obviously, it's flattering. You know, yeah. these kids are great. And, and, by the way, Bogle was riding awesome this weekend. I mean, the kid was on the gas. It's <laughs> so nice to see. He's had two, three years of struggles, and just he's finally doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, it's it's flattering to see those guys. You know what I what I like a lot about it though is they they love the history of the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, and and obviously I was a big part of the history of the sport. Uh, but you know they always I'm really proud to say, but all the riders give me the credit where the credit is due. You know they all they're all re- really respectful, and um, you know you can always just appreciate. I, I appreciate the history of the sport. You know the era that I looked up to before I raced, mm-hmm. and and I think that's what they're doing. Um, you know, I mean, there's other guys that have changed the stuff in the sport and changed it along the way and stuff. But you know, I'm I'm glad and proud to say that I'm one of those guys too. And they're they're those guys, those kids are cool. They give me respect. It's cool. So, what do you got going the rest of the week, MC? Uh, this week. Yeah. Busy week. I'm gonna try. I'm start. I'm gonna start riding moto more. Yeah. I mean, now that now the Supercross suspension's off my bike, so we did the Nashville <laughs> thing last week. Yeah. I was riding Supercross for a couple of weeks, which mm-hmm. we went out and did. Uh, so now I'm gonna, I just changed my bike over. You heard Sam over here working on my stuff, getting it back to motocross. So I'm gonna start riding. That was, get, he wasn't working on your dirt bike with that impact gun, was he? Yeah, he's changing my sprocket. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, that sounds like lug nuts. <laughs> yeah, no lug nuts. All my wheels are on my road truck right now. So, yeah. um, but uh, so I'm gonna start riding. Start thinking about putting a plan together for Mammoth. Last year I went in there pretty cold, mm-hmm. racing the vet weekend and. You know, I did race 40 Pro and kind of got my butt kicked a little bit by some guys that at least I wanted to compete a little more than I did. Mm-hmm. I ended up third on Sunday, which was fairly decent. Who beat for, you? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the one kid that's from up north, pretty fast. Mm-hmm. He ended up crashing on Sunday, but kid's really fast. But You know, those guys, are they were like freshly in the 40 class, you know, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the youngsters. Yeah, yeah, the young spring I'm, chickens. I'm like two years away from being in the 50 class. Yeah. So... <laughs> I'm still trying to hold it down for the 40 guys, for the old 40 guys. Um, so I'm going to work on that. And then I think with Icon, I'm, I still do some stuff with Icon Vehicle Dynamics, which mm-hmm. is this big sponsor of my off-road stuff. Mm-hmm. There's a big thing called uh, Rally on the Rocks, I think, or mm-hmm. big Jeep thing in, in Moab. So I think I might go to is Moab. Is that this weekend? It's this week. So oh, it's okay. Wednesday, Thursday. Dude. Go to that and take yeah. your Turbo Levo and go I know. Slip rock. I might take my Turbo Levo up there and rip around the, the rocks while I'm there, hopefully. Um, I've never done jeeping on mm-hmm. the Slick Rock either, and they have a jeep trail, and that's part of it. So um, those guys at Icon, uh, we might just fly up there Wednesday morning and stay one night and do two days up there. But this weekend's Easter, so I'll probably be back home. I'll be back home Thursday night mm-hmm. and probably ride moto Friday or Saturday and then mm-hmm. Okay, so you got that KX500 project, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not going to be ready by Saturday for the two-stroke world, right? No, but my KX250 <laughs> sitting over there. Oh yeah. My conversion I got. There you go. That's the one I raced last year when I raced with Sleater. Remember when Sleater wadded at Glenelg yeah, in yeah, front yeah, of me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do have that bike. It's sitting over there. Um, yeah, two-stroke world championships. I don't know. Wisco Fast House promoter race. Saturday. 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 Dude, I got an RM125. Are you riding it this weekend? <laughs> oh, you are? Well, I'm going to race a KTM 250 in yep. my normal class. Yeah. But then I got the Suzuki RM125. It's actually a 19 RMZ250 with that conversion kit that Suzuki's going to maybe unofficially sell. Oh, really? They're going to yeah. bring out the 125 motor and you can switch it up? Yeah, so like wow, it's the chassis, cool. right? And you just need these engine mounts with a spacer. And the motor bolts into the chassis. And they're gonna. There's br- no frame cutting or anything, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. Wow, what a what a great idea. Yeah. So that could be a huge hit for Suzuki. Yeah. Huge. That's that might be pretty awesome. So my bike is a 08 250 KX F mm-hmm. with a 05 250 yeah. two-stroke engine. That's mm-hmm. that's the premix movie. Yeah, right. right. That's yeah. the one. Mm-hmm. The one you got. Yeah, that's yeah. the one you got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From the service guys. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I'm gonna go take that thing out to to milestone tomorrow. I honestly, because I've ridden a KTM 150 recently, obviously, but I honestly can't remember the last time I rode a straight 125. So I'm kind of like, like I think in my mind, I rode a 150 once, uh-huh. and I was like, man, this thing is so slow. But I felt like it was slower than a 125. 
Oh, oh really? Dude, they're fast. They're fast. Yeah, I, I don't know, but that, was, that, that just tells you how long it had been since I rode a really little yeah. stroke. Yeah. Know? I'm sure it's faster. Yeah. But uh, you, you'll have some fun on a 125. Yeah. Yeah. Milestone will be fun right now on that bike. Yeah, I don't know about Glenn <laughs> on Sunday. Those no, big that's hills, fun. The big hills. Oh, yeah, so, well, so what, what do you think? I'm gonna, bumps good because it's uh, lighter. I'll ride, the, I'll ride the 50 class, like intermediate. Mm-hmm. But if I'm on a 125, I could ride like 40 novice, couldn't I? Because I'm dropping down a year, a year bracket. and I'm Ten years like, bracket, right? Yeah, so you're yeah, dropping yeah, down yeah. a... Um, or I could ride yeah. 30 beginner. <laughs> yeah, oh, so you go down 20 years, you can go to beginner. Go down 10, you can go to novice. Yeah, I'm going to go do the super mini like... 8 to 11 yeah. don't they have yeah. two stroke they have a two stroke oh it's all two strokes this weekend yeah 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 because yeah. yeah. um, yeah, there's no two stroke 125 class in the age division um, you know there's so where would that bike if they they intend if they do come out with that bike where would it fit in those classes right school they, boy mm-hmm. probably yeah school boy classes because yeah. don't they have like a when you go to those races they have like a they call it like a 90s two stroke class and then like a really old two stroke class Oh, depending at like how big it is, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the classes are, but and that that's where I don't know where the conversion bikes fit in, mm-hmm. yeah. right? Because the homologation stuff is gonna be weird. Yeah, I don't know. I get, maybe they just got to go by engine year mm-hmm. or something. Yeah. So, so what do you think? Is there a chance you might show up there Saturday? That sounds fun. I'm putting new graphics on my bike. Probably make it faster. <laughs> <laughs> totally right. I don't know. I I sure loved riding it last time. Yeah, I didn't love it when Sleater watered himself in front oh, of me. Dude. But, oh, that, that was, was bad. I don't think, I'm not sure if he's raced moto since then. I rode with, with Sleater. We did a Max's tire test about a month, not three weeks ago. Yeah. And we rode two days in a row. He, yeah, he's been riding a little bit, but not a lot. He got hurt on his mountain bike. Yeah, that was bad. That was, that bad. was really bad. So he had, he really is just kind of coming back. Um, but we had a good time riding. We were at Cahia Creek. That track is yeah. so fun. You mm-hmm. know what? I think he might be racing this weekend. He was talking, although no, because he might have to go to Cal Classic with his whole his whole team thing, but yeah, I know for a while he was entertaining two-stroke race. Sleater, I love him, but man, he gets a little wild when he races. You gotta <laughs> calm it down. Just practice. Let's practice. Let's have some fun. Yeah, yeah. Right on. Well, hey, uh, man, it's always great to chat with you. And uh, thanks for coming by, you guys. Thanks uh, for having us. Yeah. This has probably been the most fun Kickstart podcast we've done so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, we only done three, but it's pretty good. But, Sweet. Uh, well, let's uh, make it a regular basis. We, uh, we can check up on the races on Mondays and definitely little thing. It'd definitely. be fun. I like it. So, well, cool. Uh, on behalf of uh, Michael Antonovich and Jeremy McGrath, thank you for listening and watching. Bye, guys. <laughs>